Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name's Oscar. My name's David. And this week, we have the wompiest of Womp Womp Wednesdays. It was bad. It was real bad. Uh, hey, did you hear the last coach to start the team 0-7 was Bill Walsh? That's, I, that's great. Let's, that's totally relevant to what's going on right now. And you should totally see Trent, Trent Taylor try and block a defensive lineman. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, and you know, But first, we're going to get to the game recap. All of the things we think in this week against the Dallas Cowboys. And man, it was, uh, it was sad. It was, uh, it was not good. It was 40-10. to 10. We said we predicted that the Cowboys would cover. Or no, no, that the Niners would cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you know, at the very end, like, or it could be the game that, like, the wheels fall off and we finally regress and we're going to get blown out. And both of us are like, nah, let's go ahead and call yeah, that we're going to cover. It, it was like, uh, I mean, you could see, right, a scenario which <laughs> the Cowboys finally put together, right? You knew the Cowboys are a good team, and, and they, but, I mean, they haven't been playing well start the season. So there was just kind of like this, uh, eh, well, if the offense, you know, continues to play like they've played, then we should be able to kind of keep this thing pretty close. And, we clearly uh, put too much stock in a historic run of close losses by the 49ers, and we I put did, a little uh, too much faith in the elegant tank, and, the, yeah. and it burned us, man. Yeah, we got, got sunburned like, in the heat because our mean, arms were not covered. We went the opposite direction for so long, right? Had so many weeks that were like, one of these weeks, like it's gonna, it's gonna come, like we're gonna come up against a team that is just like clearly more talented, and it is gonna kind of like blow us out a little bit, and and that finally happened. And this and, was that game. Yep, this was absolutely that game. So it was definitely a, an embarrassing loss, especially against the Dallas fans, uh, or with most of the Dallas fans there at Levi Stadium. But overall, things we think. Number one thing that we think is that it still takes 11 players to succeed against the run. This was a, a day for the 49ers run defense that was not, we'll say, optimal. <laughs> they, they allowed 265 yards on 43 attempts. That was an average of 6.1 yards per carry. Ezekiel Elliott, that of the Ewok fame, had nearly 100 yards before, <laughs> have you not seen the Ezekiel Elliott Ewok picture? Uh, no, I'm going to okay. do that right now. Let though. me go ahead and finish this. Yeah. You Google Ezekiel Elliott Ewok. Trust me, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, but Ezekiel Elliott had nearly 100 yards before contact. He had a huge day before a Niner even touched him. Uh, and yeah, it was it was just that kind of day. <laughs> yep, David found it. There it is. Oh, man, that's incredible. Uh <laughs> How have you not seen that? I don't know, man. Uh, wow, that <laughs> oh, the internet is is a wonderful place. Sometimes it is. It's ma- sometimes it's magical. Uh, good lord! Uh, what we're talking about? Run defense. Yeah, it's, run defense. So great. Ezekiel Elliott had nearly 100 yards before contact. Before contact. Before he was touched. Yeah. Uh, why? Why was that, David? Because that's pretty bad, especially considering. The team was giving up something like 3.4 or 3.6 yards per carry uh, coming into the game. The run defense was supposedly something that we had turned around and we had fixed. The cover three defense is built to put eight men in the box so that you could prevent against uh, prevent the run. And then we hit the buzzsaw that is Dallas. What happened? You know, I think it was uh, a kind of combination of not having Eric Armstead out there, which I think hurts because I think when you look at um, you know, what he's able to do, you know, especially again, mashed up kind of the edge and, and you look at the outside zone runs that, that Dallas likes to to run. And I think he had the potential to kind of really be a force on the edge on a lot of those plays. Um, and so you're you're down. It's kind of a steep fall after him in that rotation. Right. It, it, it's basically Solomon Thomas and then a bunch of dudes that just kind of barely join the roster, it seems like. So leisure doable. Lager. I think that's it. I'm going Lager just because it sounds funny to me. Lager. Um, uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think Doosable is right. Doosable has got to be it. There's yeah. A, yeah. Whatever. The dude's um, Doosable. <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, I think the, the fall off after that, uh, after Armstead and that rotation there is, is relatively steep. And then I think, uh, you know, not having Bowman in the short term, right? That was clearly a move that is, uh, is long-term driven, right? It was a situation where, He's not really in the long term plans, and and we were already starting to see him kind of lose some snaps here and there to younger players, and and so rather than deal with an unhappy Bowman, we're gonna you know cut him loose and let him go try to uh, latch on elsewhere and and make a run and, and get more significant playing time, knowing that that's that, that doesn't help this defense in the short term, right? That's not a move that you make um, to win more games right now. So I think you lose those two players. And uh, the the combination of that and going up against, you know, a good Dallas run game, uh, you know, a good offensive line. Obviously, Zeke's one of the top backs in the league, and, and that's kind of uh, the result that we get. 
And then, of course, you've got one of the replacements for Navarro Bowman, Eric Reed, at linebacker. And quite simply, the Eric Reed at linebacker experiment should end relatively soon because overall, he played one of his worst games of the year, uh, mostly because of the position that he was being asked to play. His pro football focus grade was 29.2 overall. That's like Zane Beatles bad. Like (laughs) Eric Reed is a good safety and he's a good in the box safety. But asking him to do linebacker things uh, basically turned him from an above average safety to Zane Beatles. He's the Zane Beatles of the linebacking core because he's just not he's not going to do the things that you would expect a linebacker to do. There was a play I tweeted out earlier where Eric Reed just didn't fill a play side gap. And if I'm Dallas and I see Eric Reed lining up at linebacker, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm running right at him because as a play side linebacker, you've got to step up, fill your gap, take on a guard, uh, a pulling guard, take on or, or a guard coming off and getting to the second level. You've got to be able to brace and stack and shed and do lots of things that, yeah, you might be able to do that against the tight end or something if you're playing safety or if you're playing force on the edge. But when you're going up against the center or a guard, it's a whole different experience. And I don't know that you know there's going to be enough practice snaps left in the season to get Eric Reed up to speed to to get him to play linebacker. And and the I think the Cowboys were able to to capitalize on on him playing linebacker. It's a you know it's a tough situation because I think and you know and you mentioned this when we were watching film yesterday that this idea that I think they're just kind of like tinkering with it a little bit and, and trying to figure out a way to get him on the field right so it's best 11 on the field yeah it, it it's um kind of sucks for him right right i think he was a good fit at strong safety in this defense and somebody that we expected to play very well this season and then all of a sudden he gets hurt and tart comes in and plays great right like tart finally is kind of uh stepped up and and fulfilled a lot of the promise that we thought that he might have and um, is Ben really one of their best, most consistent defenders this season. So now it's a situation you don't really want to pull him off the field when he's playing so well. So how do we still find a way to get Eric Reed on the field, right? And this is kind of the the first attempt at that, and it, it certainly didn't go so well. And um, I, I think this is probably a good example, if anything, of of why, you know, there's a lot of people that come to us and ask, why don't they put Tart at linebacker? Why don't they transition one of these guys to linebacker? And I think this is is kind of the reason why, right? It's it's just a different animal. You look at Eric Reed as a large human, right? Like he's not playing at his listed weight of two ten. <laughs> right. He's probably playing closer to like two twenty five, two thirty. But even then, it it is it is striking to me looking at him next to Reuben Foster in the box, right? And who Reuben Foster is not like he's not Takeo Spikes, right? He's not some big like mauling linebacker. Like he's a guy that can move. I think I think at the combine he was around like 240, 245-ish. But like the difference in size looking at those two stand next to each each other is like very striking, right? When yeah. you when you look at him on film. And so um the, the difference in the type of blocks that you're taking on, um, you know, taking on a tight end on the edge as a force player is is different than taking on Zach Martin in the interior, right? Like uh it, it just doesn't always work out the same. And you could see that he just wasn't quite as comfortable, right? There was um, he was a little tentative, like wasn't really yeah. super eager to get in there and, and kind of uh, fill when the runs come in his direction. So, uh, yeah, it just wasn't a great fit. But I, I understand, I guess, how you get there, right? How you get to a point where with this defense where it is that you end up trying Eric Reed at linebacker because, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, better options at this point. So Shanahan said in his postgame presser, or I think in his post-day presser, it may have been today, that when you're playing an eight-man front, the difference between safety and linebacker, it's just where you line up. But you move uh, to there from safety, or you move there from the, to the safety spot too. It's just, a little, it's just a little different depth. But basically, Shanahan's trying to say that the positions aren't terribly different. It's just a different depth. And I, I think that he's kind of oversimplifying things a little bit there. He's not one to oversimplify things when he's at the podium. But it, you can't just exactly put a safety in the box and say, voila, you're now seven yards deep instead of 13 yards deep, but it's the same exact thing. Yeah. You're, you're using different techniques. You're taking on different types of players and your responsibilities are different um, to the point where, I mean, they're different positions for a reason, right? You can't yeah. just interchangeably do it. And I think he's probably thinking of the Dion Buchanan's of the world and the Cam Chancellor's of the world that play this kind of dollar backer, I think, to the degree that we would want Eric Reed to play it. And, and those players play it well for a reason. And I don't know that you can that it's going to be necessarily an easy plug and play for Eric Reed right away. Yeah. And even somebody like uh, like Buchanan, right? He 
um, I think has gotten a lot better. You know, he's got a lot more experience playing that type of role now, but he even still struggled. Like there, there are times where he is just so physically overmatched against some of the guys that he's going with on the interior that it just doesn't work out so well for him. So he still has, um, you know, and had, especially early in his career, some, some bad run snaps, right? Because he's in there. And, and I think like, I get what he's saying with that sort of quote, right? It, it's, it's almost, um, I, I think the difference is, is akin to like looking at like a four, three over, right? Where you have three linebackers off the ball and, and kind of saying that, well, yeah, your Sam and your Willbacker are largely pretty similar, right? They're, they're just on different sides of the field. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, responsibilities in, in, in a lot of ways can be similar. And, um, you know, what they're asked to do can be similar, but the, the, the benefit of having somebody like play on the weak side, right. And why you see those guys, uh, a lot of times pile up more tackles in that style of defense because they're not taking on blocks as much. Right. So they do have, a. It, it's different enough that if you have a player, that's not really best fit to play that role, that it can still make an impact. And I think you nailed it on the head when you said that, that Eric Reed just did not look enthusiastic at playing the position. And he was pretty unhappy with his role. And he, um, in his own Eric Reed way, made that very clear in the postgame presser, which by that I mean that he did it in a very nice, measured, calm way. Right. <laughs> um, he's not going to be a super aggressive you know, dude, which is one of the reasons I love the guy so much is because he's a very thoughtful player. Yeah. Um, but you could tell that he just wasn't going to you know, smash his face up in there and take on lead blocks in the way that he, you know, was going to go up and try and hit a, a slot, uh, a slot wide receiver and, and try and cover that, that shallow slant area. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him as the week progresses. He did open up practice with the linebackers this week, same as he did last week. So they are definitely cross training him as a dollar backer. And uh, I think unfortunately what this means is that this is probably the last season we're going to see Eric Reed in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it really just seems unlikely with the way things have unfolded, you know, over the first half of the season here that uh, that we're going to see him come back, right? Why? Like, I don't think even even though we thought he was going to be, I think, a really good player in this defense at safety, like at this point with the way that Tart's playing, if he if he keeps that up, like, I don't think that he's, I mean, maybe not better at all, but definitely not uh, so significantly better that it's worth, you the know, contract. re-signing the contract that yeah. he's going to get. Uh, the other thing I think that was terrible for us against the run was going to be the trap plays. So the trap plays that that we saw starting to happen last week against DeForest Buckner, we mentioned it last week as well, begin to look for these because I think we're going to see them more and more with the emergence of DeForest Buckner. A trap play is not a common play that you see in the NFL nowadays, but it's remarkably effective. Jim Harbaugh it reintroduced this play seemingly back into the fold of the NFL with the 49ers. And, you know, teams have it in their playbook, but they just don't run it often. The trap play is intended to really punish aggressive defensive tackles on the interior. Because basically what you do is you fake block them with the guy that they think is going to block them. So a guard kind of fakes that way, moves out, and then a, a pulling player traps him and knocks him in the face. And so what you can do is, is basically take that that aggressive step that the defensive tackle is going to take and punish him for it. And in this game, they, oh man, <laughs> poor interior defender. Uh, I think it was, it wasn't doable, was it? Tony, Tony, McDaniel Tony McDaniel got it once for sure. I'm trying to remember right now if if, if the second time was him. It was uh, the second time. He well. got it twice. Yeah. Poor Tony McDaniel got it twice because, and one time he, so it's funny is last week we, I tweeted out the snaps. DeForest Buckner saw the trap once. Same thing happened. He kind of stumbled because he thought he was going to get a double team. But then the second time he saw the trap, he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I got this. And he, and he figured it out and he was able to, to hold at the point of attack. Poor Tony McDaniel. He gets it the first time and slips through the line and then is end, ends up on his knees and then gets blasted by the pulling lineman. And then it happens to him again on the other side of the line. And it's just like, oh, God. Um, and yeah. And then, of course, you've got a, a wide open hole. And Ezekiel Elliott's like, bye, son. And that's that. Yeah, it's it, I think you're right that it's it's probably something, especially now that you see it. Um you know, on tape a few times, right? Other teams are, are watching this and they see that, okay, it hasn't been defended very well uh, here over the last couple of games. And uh, you hit it. It's, it's really to take advantage of aggressive linemen, right? And we know that in this defense, that was something that talked about all offseason uh, is that this is in, in this kind of one gap style. They want to be very aggressive and get up field and, and let guys kind of get after whether it's a passer or the ball carrier in the backfield. And, and so this, 
uses that sort of aggressiveness against them because all of a sudden they're they're hitting air right at the line of scrimmage. You know, they're flying up field and and then you get this guy just kind of coming out of nowhere and ear holing them. Uh, and it's it's didn't look fun. I, I mean, you felt like legitimately bad for Tony McDaniel on these snaps because it's like he just eats it head straight to the ground after he whiffs. Uh, you know, on that initial contact. And then right as he's about to get up again, like this, the guard just comes and Whacks him in the sends face. him right back to the ground. It's just like, man, that's that's a rough snap to take. But at least he um, didn't get cut at the at the end of the week because <laughs> Xavier Cooper got cut. And at least we weren't like, hey, come in here, get 25 snaps, get knocked in the face. And then later, like at least he's got a job and gets a game check. God. Yeah. I mean, so just to, to kind of give an idea of, of how um, relatively uncommon this play is like so far in the season on, you know, roughly 5,800 run plays, uh, that we have 102 of them have been trap plays. Um, so it, it's, it's not something that NFL teams, uh, you know, use a ton of at this point, you know, it's really become more of a, a zone heavy league and you still have your teams that run some man and gap stuff, but it, it's, uh, not a play that you're going to see, you know, run 15, 20 times in a game or something like that, that. So. is 1.75% roughly. Uh, we'll yes, round it, it up is, to two. It, it is a, it is a low number. Um, so yeah. And it's something that you can see. I mean, again, if, if, uh, if you've got it in there, it can be a great changeup against this style of defense. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely something until they, you know, prove that they can defend it a little bit better. I, I think it is something that we should expect to see, you know, a couple times a game here. I used to call it the Indomitian Sioux play because that's what we were beating uh, Sue with yeah, in I mean, the Detroit was, game. That Detroit overtime, what's your deal game? The uh, I mean, Harbaugh, too. Harbaugh had the trap and the wham. So yeah. trap, basically, the, the difference between them is the same sort of principle, but it's where the, the puller comes from. So trap is is your interior player coming inside out on that block so it's usually your guard and your wham is coming outside Um, in which in detroit it was delaney walker right uh who would come and just completely ear hole him uh which as a term for a block i love by the way just ear holing someone it's descriptive it's also i mean you get their helmet turned around right you're looking through the ear hole like uh (laughs) oh i always thought it because you it's because you hit him in the ear hole I mean, like because you hit him either from the one side. could work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a double entendre for hits. <laughs> it works. Uh, but yeah, so I think the the not having Eric Armstead, which for those people who are on the Eric Armstead is a bus train. Let this game be an example to you. This is what happens just because he's not amassing a bunch of stats doesn't mean he's not a valuable part of the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. just not because he's not DeForest Buckner, like doesn't correct. mean he's a bad player, just because he's right? not an all pro yeah. only second to Aaron Donald type of player yeah. doesn't mean that he is a bust. Uh, so I think not having Eric Armstead on the defensive line, of course, is terrible. I think schematically they got us a bit with those trap plays. Um, and uh, and yeah, and I think setting the outside zone without Eric Armstead or without, uh, yeah, Eric Armstead was a bit of a problem. Next thing that we think is going to be about C.J. Beathard. Of course, we're going to continue to break down his play because, you know, hey, QB1, he's the new quarterback. But Beathard continues to play like a rookie third rounder. There were a couple of things that we noticed in this game, one of which was, you know, last week we pointed out that he really struggled on throws towards his left to the sideline. And this week, um, the basically Kyle Shanahan and CJ Beathard were like, you know what? Don't do that anymore because he <laughs> didn't. We're just done making those throws. Yeah, I mean, it's really the stuff. I mean, and there were a couple, uh, you know, underneath ones that I think were more uh less poor throws and more maybe in the poor decision category you know some of the ones that we talked about um where he kind of finally picked up the trap coverage as the game went on in that first one right and was able to make uh that throw down the sideline to garcon i believe it was um and so there was there was that type of stuff underneath but it was the stuff where he was really struggling i think with ball location and um you know it was just kind of it was not his. I mean, it, it, you're just waiting for the pick six to happen for him to leave that ball, uh, you know, inside again and the defender to be in a better situation, a better, a better spot to be able to take advantage. And in this game, you know, like you mentioned, they completely removed it. When you look at throws uh, that traveled at least 10 yards in the air, he had only two of them uh, that went to the left side. So outside the numbers to the left, both of them were incomplete. Um, I believe both of them were kind of fade routes. Uh, that that he missed on there, so stop throwing fades. It is not uh, right now. That that is not something that he does well, and, and so I think uh, right now, I mean, I guess yeah, eliminate. That's I guess good play calling, right? Good good coaching there. You see something 
that he's struggling with. And you just, okay, we're going to try to remove those type of throws from the game plan and, and get him focused more on stuff uh, that he does well. And I think we saw that a lot, right? As we're going through and we're watching these throws, um, it was really play action heavy early on. You know, it got to a point in the game where I think in the fourth quarter, they kind of stopped doing the play action because, you know, they what's had the point? To. nobody's, nobody's, uh, you know, buying your run fake, no matter how good 33 it is to point. three is not going <laughs> to inspire much, uh, biting from the linebackers. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I mean, it, you don't need a good run game. I think this is kind of a misconception. You don't need a run good game to have a good, uh, a good play action game. Right? You just you need, need the to, threat of the run, which means you have to be in a situation where you might actually run yeah. the ball. You need a, you need that threat. You need the score to be close enough and you need to, to sell it. Right. And I think that's what it, it's more the blocking and how the offensive line uh, comes off the ball. That's really selling that action as opposed to just, you know, faking a handoff to a guy in the backfield. So, um, you know, we saw that go way late, but early on it was really play action heavy um, and then looking to get throws over the middle of the field, I think. So right now, the best throws that he makes are coming off that play action drop, you know, getting his foot in the ground. He's got his feet underneath him because he's not trying to, you know, open his hips and throw off to the to the wrong side. Um, and he's able to kind of get those passes up over the linebackers in in front of the safeties, you know, on the seam throw to Kittle uh, is the one that comes to mind in the first game, uh, you know, had a couple of throws in this one to Goodwin. Uh, on that same sort of action, so which he was actually trying to throw to Goodwin, actually trying to throw to Goodwin. Yeah, we, we, so uh, th- there's a, if you've been listening to us since before the season, you know this was a hot topic in the preseason on a touchdown to Goodwin, uh, or no, it was a, a touchdown to hide. It, it was yeah, it was a throw uh, that I thought was you know to uh, to Goodwin behind Hyde, and it happened to land in Hyde's uh, Hyde's arms, and he scored a touchdown. And it was in the Vikings game, right? I yeah, think the, I think it was the Vikings, Vikings game. preseason game. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so this, the, there was one throw, the, the throw to, in this case, actually Goodwin, where you had both Garcon and Goodwin on Shanahan's favorite concept, the Yankee route, and, or the Yankee concept, and it gets to Goodwin, and you're like, wait, was he trying to throw it to Goodwin? And yeah, Garcon was coming across, and it, it was close. Garcon kind of had to duck a little bit, I think, uh, to, to let it go over, but yeah, I wasn't not, not trying to go there uh, again on this right now, but... So one um, of one of the things I think about Bethard is that you you do want to look at the throws he does really well where he flashes, but he also had a, a certain some troubling interceptable throws, especially against the Cowboys. He had one throw that probably should have been an, an interception along the sideline where it looked like he was throwing the ball away, and the the Dallas defender ends up actually coming down with it. And on replay, you can see that both of his feet were in, but. I think the score was just kind of just far enough that Dallas didn't probably didn't want to challenge it. And the, the 49ers got up and ran another play and that's the end of it. But it definitely was an interceptable ball. And, and so this is the, the world in which we're going to try and talk about a little bit here, which are big time throws and turnover worthy throws. It's something that the guys that do the PFF kind of quarterback analysis, Zach Robinson and Steve Palazzolo, friend of the pod. Steve Palazzolo. The pod officially. That's right. Uh, they, they do a, a quarterback eval podcast, which is really good. You should give it a listen. But they break up quarterback eval into big-time throw and turnover-worthy throws. Basically, they are the throws that are rated super positively and the throws that are rated super negatively. Um, and, and so when we break down C.J. Beathard's play into this big-time throw and turnover-worthy throws, you begin to see a picture emerge of a quarterback that is able to make some throws, but is still, again, playing like a third-round rookie. Yeah, so I think generally when you start to kind of group the the style of quarterbacks, right, I think there are kind of, uh, looking at it through this lens, I think there are three general buckets that you can kind of throw them into. One is going to be, uh, you know, the, the elite quarterbacks, the Aaron Rodgers of the world that are going to have a super high percentage of big-time throws, you know, these, these, these high-end throws that are, are really helping their team out. Um, and then also a very low percentage of turnover worthy throws, right? They're not putting the ball in harm's way a whole lot. There aren't many of those quarterbacks out there, right? There, there's, a, you know, maybe a couple that you point to uh, that are at the top end of things and they're kind of in their own little world. And then everybody else, I think you have guys that are more um, like what Alex Smith was before this season, which is the more conservative quarterbacks. They're not going to have a very high percentage of turnover worthy throws, um, but they're also not going to have a high percentage of big time throws, right? They're not going to uh, take a lot of chances downfield. They're not going to throw into a lot of tight windows um, and and really make some of these kind of game changing throws that you see. Uh, and then you have the opposite, the the gunslinger, I guess, bucket, we'll call it the the Jameis Winston style of quarterbacks where you have a really high percentage of both. 
right? You're taking a lot of chances. Um, you know, you're, you're willing to kind of pull the trigger on just about any sort of throw. And that leads to some excellent throws. And that also leads to some really bad ones that, uh, that, that get intercepted a lot or have an opportunity to get intercepted. So right now it, it does seem to be that, uh, that Bethard is kind of trending more towards that last one, right? We haven't really seen, I think, a lot of the high-end throws, but there are some in there that are good. There, there are some that you see uh, enough there to make him to make you think that, like, okay, yeah, I, I feel you know a little bit better than what I'm going to get out of Brian Hoyer here. Like, I, I feel like there's a better chance maybe that I'm going to have something, uh, you know, happen there. So the the turnover worthy throws though have been kind of the I think the big thing so far right now like if you look at he has 74 attempts on the season Alex Smith uh has I think where was it 200 and some two, 254 like 227 yeah no, somewhere in there two yeah there it is 227 I knew I had it noted down um and they have the same number of turnover worthy throws so even though Smith has thrown the ball like what roughly three times as much they have the same number of turnover worthy throws, which is again, just balls that whether they were intercepted or not on the stat sheet passes that, um, you know, could have, or, or I guess really should have resulted in a turnover. Um, you know, you're kind of really poor throws. And so I think that's what we're seeing right now is he just has, he's, he's in that, that kind of, uh, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz range for turnover worthy throws. So he's like taking, taking some chances, right. He's willing to throw the ball downfield a little bit, uh, and, and he's, he's, you know, leaving those, I think a little bit, uh, off the mark sometimes, but we're not seeing the really high end throws there to offset that. And that's why uh, I think through two games, at least we're seeing him, um, you know, I don't know, not, not really, I, I don't want to, you know, dump on the guy. He's you know, third round guy that's putting in kind of a bad situation. Doesn't have a lot of experience at this point, but, um, hasn't really been playing all that well through two games. Well, he's got 16 negatively graded throws. That puts him at 21.6% of his throws. The NFL average for negatively graded throws is 15.7. So he's got an above average number of negatively graded throws based on pro football focuses charting. His best throws, his positively positively rated throws, he's got 13.5% of his throws rated positively. Uh, That is below the NFL average of 24.6%. So right now we're seeing, you know, a quarterback emerge that is, you know, kind of gunslinger-esque in, in, in his propensity to throw turnover-worthy throws, but doesn't have the, the kind of top-end throws to offset that to give you, you know, kind of a quarterback that can maybe win you a game, but maybe sometimes lose you a game. It seems like he is still struggling to put some things together. And honestly, it doesn't help when you're down by a bajillion points because your defense can't yeah. stop anyone. He's not necessarily being put in a position to exceed at least to succeed at least against uh, Dallas. Washington, you know, was his damn first game, man. I mean, yeah. it was his first game. So what's interesting though is I don't think the that Shanahan is changing the offense a whole hell of a lot for CJ Beathard. We're seeing yeah. a lot of the same concepts, a lot of the same route combinations. Yeah, you might see a zone read or a quarterback draw every now and again. <laughs> God, that was weird. Which are weird, but you know, Shanahan said basically you want to put that on film so that you can get teams to react to things a certain way. Which sure. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna necessarily unveil uh, a brand new offense with CJ <laughs> Beathard, uh, speedy speedy beat hard. <laughs> yeah, so I think the thing to kind of to wrap that up in in terms of what to look for, right? Is is going forward if the 49ers passing game is going to be successful we need to see one of two things happen, right? Either he needs to uh, maybe play a little bit more conservatively and curb those those really bad throws that are putting the ball in harm's way because, again, there, there have been a few, like on those throws to the left, if they, if they unless they just keep eliminating that from the game plan, essentially, like he's he is going to have a pick six. Like it's going to happen at some point unless, unless something changes significantly there. Um, so I think you either need to see him curb those throws or we need to start to see some more positive stuff, right? We need to see some better throws into some tight windows, you know, because you have guys, we, we saw that a lot, a lot of man coverage in this game and a lot of just guys not really being able to separate all that much, you know? Um, and, and so he's going to have to make some of those more difficult throws uh, that really help this passing offense out. So that it's got to be one or the other if, if this passing offense has any hope of uh, kind of getting things done this this season at all. And the final thing that we think is going to be about the offensive line, and that's quite frankly that the Dallas defensive line absolutely stunted all over the 49ers offensive line. And we mean that both in the Urban Dictionary stunt (laughs) way and also in the literal, physical, regular defensive line stunt way. 
So the, the Dallas Cowboys ran a lot of games along the defensive line, a lot of slants, a lot of gap exchanges, and a lot of stunts. And they did that for a couple of reasons. One, it really, really helps screw up your zone run game when the guy that you think you're supposed to block is now all of a sudden exchanging gaps and moving into another gap. It can really confuse and blow up a lot of your zone run schemes when you can do that. But then, of course, if it ends up not being a zone run, all of a sudden you've got some stunts and some gap exchanges against an interior offensive line that has you know, shown some problems with picking up defensive line stunts and, and some teams that are able to take advantage of that. And then you add some premier pass rushers and off you go. You've got a defensive line that completely dominates the offensive line. There was one player, and that's going to be our spotlight player of the week, that was performing well before he left the game as a result of injury, and that's going to be Brandon Fusco. He was uh, he had his best graded game this year against Dallas before he left because of an injury. His 81.5 overall grade on the game uh, was mostly because of his run game, and that was an 85 run, gade, run game grade. Uh, overall, it's up to a 72.9, almost 73 grade on the season, which... When we signed Brendan Fusco, I was not expecting that. I was expecting both guard spots to be super weak and the center to you know kind of be up in the air. But Fusco's proven to be a decent free agent signing, and and if he can continue to play well, hopefully the injury is not severe. Uh, he didn't practice this week. Don't think he'll play uh, against the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. But this is a player that again, it's probably not going to all of a sudden turn into an All Pro guard. But he's not abject terrible at the guard position (laughs) i think solid play at guard was something that i didn't envision as a possibility for this season yeah um you know like it it was just kind of a a case where you had a bunch of guys that that had never played well at really any he wears a neck roll well who who (laughs) after 1989 (laughs) plays football well with a neck roll I mean, like no one does. I I don't have an answer for that. I don't I don't have a. I wore a neck roll um, playing Pop Warner football for the Mountain View Marauders for ten minutes, ten whole minutes. It was awful. It was stupid, and it slipped yeah, all the I way mean, back down my shoulder pads. I think I yeah I think I played with like one dude uh, in high school that had a neck roll and. I don't know, man. The only kind uh, of neck roll you should have are the naturally occurring neck rolls, like those that occurred on Takeo spikes. Like, he didn't have a neck, so his shoulders and his trapezius were basically a built-in neck roll. Yeah, those that's, are good ones. That's... That's, that's really all you need. That's all you need. But despite uh, yeah. his neck roll having ways, Brandon Fusco playing solid at guard, and he got injured. And Carlos Hyde actually had his best runs when Fusco was in the game, and that's a testament to his run blocking because they were to the right side, and he, got, he had some cutbacks to the right side. And, and Carlos Hyde was ripping off some runs, all of a sudden, good old Zane Beals gets in the game and everything falls to shit. Zane Beatles. God damn it. We're going to get to him um, in a minute. Don't worry. So, yeah, I mean, Fusco is, again, he's been kind of the one guy that's been uh, pretty solid, especially in the, I mean, he's had issues in the past game. You know, it, it still hasn't really been there from a protection standpoint, but um, he definitely has been the most consistent performer in the run game. I mean, a lot of, uh, he had some key blocks on some of the better runs in this game. Um, you know, the, the 49ers offensive line in general really struggled getting up to the second level to these linebackers. I mean, Lee and, and Jalen Smith were, were kind of, uh, running free to the ball a lot. And, and it was because they just couldn't, you know, get these interior players up to the second level to, to get any sort of contact on them. And he was the one guy that had some solid blocks there to, to, to be able to spring hide. Um, so yeah, I think it was, uh, it's just kind of like, of course, uh, he gets hurt, right? It's, it's the one guy that we're finally starting to see, um, perform at a relatively consistent, decent level. And now he's not there. And now we have Zane Beatles in our lives again, which nobody wants ever. Yeah. So we're going to get to Zane Beatles in a minute, but those are the overall things that we think for the game against the old Dallas Cowgirls. It still takes 11 players to succeed against the run. CJ Beathard continues to play like a rookie third rounder and the Dallas defensive line stunted all over the 49ers offensive line. So let's get to the rundown. Then the stories through the week after the game or other notable stats from the game that we think are important. And first up, Hey, we're seeing some new plays. Uh, And that's going to be a new run play that we saw unveiled against the Dallas Cowboys. Right. One of the things that I, um, you know, get to do each week is on, 
Uh, Mondays and Tuesday mornings like chart a lot of the the blocking schemes and the 49ers run game is one of the things that that I, I look at each week. Um, and it was something that kind of stuck out because I didn't recall seeing this type of scheme before from Kyle Shanahan this season. Um, and it is what generally I, I've seen most commonly referred to as is the dart scheme, which is uh, usually a one back shotgun shotgun scheme is where you see it most often. And it is a uh, power-esque play, I guess. So if you think of power, right, which is something that we've gone over on the podcast before, it's it's getting kind of down blocks and double teams on the play side. And then you're going to pull somebody, uh, typically a guard from the backside and, and have him climb up to a linebacker. So that's kind of your basic mechanics is have everybody on the front side where the run's going, crash everything down, and then pull somebody from the backside and, and kind of get some kickout blocks uh, and, and get your back through that hole. And so... Dart is a very similar type of scheme, but the key kind of change to that is where the double team occurs and then who's pulling. So the key changes there is that you get the double team in a different spot. So rather than it typically being the guard and tackle, it's the center and the guard uh, in most cases. So you usually want to run this against a front that has a one technique. So that's the direction uh, that you want to go to is the, the nose tackle there, the A-gap player on the defense and then you're going to pull the the tackle as opposed to the guard. And so um, this is something that you see. I mean, college, a, a lot of college teams run this a bunch. There's a lot of, um, you know, kind of more creative uh, quarterback run stuff that you can do off of this uh, that you see more so at the college level. But um, this was something that they ran uh, three times in this game um, once to great effect. So uh, kind of at the two minute warning there in the first half, you saw Carlos Hyde uh, down the red zone, get a 16 yard run. Um, that, that he was able one of his better runs of the day came on that. They tried to, to follow it up on the very next play. Uh, didn't go so well. Um, Staley actually had, so Staley had, uh, you know, kind of one of his worst games, especially in the run game. Um, you know, he gave up a couple pressures in the past game, but it was really in the, the run area where he, he struggled. And, and the other two times that they ran this play, he had kind of the, the key block that failed that led to the, to it not really gaining a whole lot of yardage. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting, you know, something, um, we, we expect a lot of zone. They have been a lot of zone. I think they're like the fourth or fifth highest percentage, uh, of zone in the league right now so far. Um, but this was something, you know, kind of a new wrinkle that we've seen from him last week. I told you that Des Bryant should be someone you started in your daily fantasy league. And he returned on that promise with seven receptions, six to three yards and one singular touchdown. He tied his highest reception total for the year. It was his second highest yardage total for the year, and he basically ate up Dante Johnson on some slants and a back shoulder throw. It was a 27-yard pass against uh, Kella Witherspoon. So I don't know that Des Bryant was necessarily worth the, I think, like $6,700 price tag that he had in DraftKings for 63 yards and a touch. I mean, that's like Adam Thielen level, you know? Like, uh, Although Adam Thielen didn't even perform that well because I get started those, him in a get league. those seven you know, PPR points in there, yeah, right? That's, yeah. yeah, that's like uh, Duke Johnson, basically. That's, that's <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you weren't, uh, you weren't mad at that advice is what I'm saying because Des Bryant had his second best game of the year, even if it wasn't, you know, amazing. Uh, so another player runner up, I guess, would be uh, for, for a spotlight player this week was was probably DJ Jones. And um you know, he's somebody we've talked about Earl Mitchell uh, in, in kind of his coverage lack, ability, <laughs> his coverage ability, uh, his inability to play run defense um, and, and just kind of, you know, it, it was really kind of a poor situation for him. Right. He was a best asset as a pass rusher. And then we have, you know, a number of other interior pass rushers that are better than he is at that thing. So he doesn't really have uh, a great role to fill, I think, it, with how this defensive line is structured. And DJ Jones is somebody that. Uh, you know, has played fairly limited snaps so far this season, but uh, I think has certainly shown more. I mean, um, Justice Mosqueda, who, you know, we've referenced a few times, you know, really, really insightful stuff on on defensive line play um, that he's able to bring. And he was somebody that, you know, brought up DJ Jones as uh, one of the better nose tackle candidates in this class, you know, call him one of the more athletic guys in, in what was otherwise a pretty weak class for nose tackles, um, you know, in this past draft. And he's just had some uh, some snaps. You know, it's not to say that he's been perfect when he's been out there by any stretch, but he has had some snaps, you know, in the run game where it's just like, I don't even know if Earl Mitchell is capable of this. And and it's been enough to, to warrant, I think, more significant playing time for him. The one that kind of call out was, uh, you know, play against Travis Frederick. So, you know, this was a, an excellent game to really judge him on because he's going against one of the best centers in football. 
um, on a block that Travis Frederick is just excellent at. So we think of that reach block where the center is trying to kind of pin that nose tackle inside so they can get the run to the outside. DJ Jones fights across the face of that, makes a tackle on Zeke for two yards. Like uh, it was just it, a play that, you know, I guess maybe if you don't spend a lot of time watching nose tackles, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But but considering the competition that he was going against in that play, like was really just an incredible uh, a snap from him, I thought. And he has a few plays like that here and there where it's just like doing things that Earl Mitchell uh, I, I don't think is really capable of. So he's somebody that I would like to see get more playing time going forward. Next story in the rundown is also about Earl Mitchell. Can we just stop putting Earl Mitchell in coverage? Can we just stop right now? Same exact thing happened against the Dallas Cowboys that happened against the Washington Redskins. Against the Redskins, you drop Earl Mitchell in the coverage and you rush three. Kirk Cousins just waits for a bit because there's no pressure and then throws it to Jordan Reed as soon as he clears the coverage. Air quotes. It's radio. You can't see it. I'm doing it. David can confirm True. coverage of Earl Mitchell. And and same thing happens against Dallas. Earl Mitchell drops into coverage. Jason Witten just goes right by him, shuffles right behind him. Literally, he shuffles like one of those high school shuffle hands up, hands moving and catches the ball and ends up getting, uh, you know, eight yards or whatever in a first down. So I think it's just something that you should stop altogether. We talked about it extensively last week, so we won't hit it hard. There are some reasons to drop defensive linemen in coverage. Those linemen, though, should never, ever be Earl Mitchell. And one last uh, defensive line. Well, actually, not one last. It's a D-line heavy rundown, really, this week, uh, which I didn't realize. But um, one thing of note, uh, I, I think, with the rotation there, which was different, right? We talked about, um, you know, many times wanting to see guys like DeForest Buckner not have to play 90 plus percent of the snaps and and this was a game where we saw even with eric armstead out you know basically seven defensive linemen played in this game and every single one of them played at least 25 snaps um you know deforest buckner only had to play 50 of the 75 total snaps they played on defense um so it was a a healthy rotation in this game and we saw guys like tony mcdaniel um guys like old legger doosable come in and play <laughs> uh plays you know significant snaps it, it wasn't like they were coming in you know playing eight ten snaps just to spell a guy and get out of there um they had a pretty significant rotation going on in this game um and even though you know the depth may not quite be where we want it to be with uh with armstead hurt i, I think i still think this is a better route for them you know you got to keep the guys that you do have uh, that they can produce. You got to keep them fresh and, and able to actually go out there and perform when they're on the field. Final two stories in the rundown. You've got Dayton Jones as a recent signing here, the 49ers. He put up average grades for the past three seasons in green Bay. His overall grade on pro football focus has been between 70 and 74 from 2014 to 2016. Both his pass rush and run defense grades have been in the low seventies each, each season. And so that's actually, I mean, that's, that's average play, which is, if you can sign a defensive lineman off the street at this point and get average play, you're probably doing okay. Uh, and he's slowly transitioned primarily from a 3-4 defensive end to an outside linebacker over those three seasons. Chances are he'll be playing defensive end in our 4-3. He's not going to be playing outside linebacker. So uh, he's a signing that it's an upside signing. I mean, he was a highly drafted player that you ho- that has played average over the course of his career. And you're hoping that he can maybe tap into that into that athleticism and that a change in scheme is going to be something that helps him out. And then lastly, you've got the DVOA update. We are now 30th overall, down from 26th in Football Outsiders defense adjusted value over average. We are 28th on offense, 28th on defense because balance. <laughs> and sixth on special teams. Uh, we are, interestingly enough, not a super high variance team. We're overall 11th in variance, and that means that we don't have wild swings in our games. We're not going to play super amazing one game and then terrible another game, which was something that happened often, I thought, under the Tom Sula and Chip Kelly years, where we would beat a Minnesota team that ended up making the playoffs, and then we'd lose to some you know bullshit team or whatever in you know, the following week. Uh, same thing with Chip Kelly, where we would like kind of play up to our competition and then get blown out or whatever by some crappy team. We are at least consistent in our uh, <laughs> winless streak even if we're not consistent in the elegant tank. One final bit about the DVOA update. Either Cleveland or San Francisco goes 0-16 in 14% of this week's simulations. Uh, and it's either one or the other. It, both go 0-16 in, 
in a much smaller percentage. It's like like one point yeah, four. Yeah, I saw him tweet this. It was like zero point four. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Less yeah. so less than a half a percent uh, yeah. of the time. So chances are we're gonna sneak in a win. Which one? Uh, I don't know. Is it gonna be against the Eagles, David? <laughs> Is that a serious question? No, it really uh, wasn't. I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm trying to transition. I'm trying to lop the segue. transition over. Yeah, we're, segue. We're professionals. That's right. Um, so let's get to the game let's preview. Let's get to the game preview. Let's do it. Uh, so, so I think uh, this is just going to be a. So this is the one. I mean, you it's know, a disaster with the Cowboys. It was a team that um, it was clearly, I think, more talented, but had been underachieving. And, and so I think the ways that they were underachieving, uh, you know, I thought matched up in a, in a way that would have allowed the 49ers to keep things a little bit closer, especially at home. That didn't happen. Uh, now going on, uh, the road to a team that, you know, a lot of people think may be the best team in football right now or playing the best football currently. Um, it's hard to, uh, see this going so well. So are we going to forfeit the game because we basically can't field in like an NFL level offensive line? Cause at this point you've got, you you've got oh god our right tackle Trent Brown who's had a concussion he's in the concussion protocol but here's Dude. the scary thing normally if you're in the protocol and you're going to play on Sunday usually you're practicing Wednesday and then you know you're practicing no contact Wednesday you're practicing no contact Thursday and then you know you you kind of get cleared on Friday and you play on Sunday but Trent Brown didn't practice at all on Wednesday and if that's the case, you've got Gary Gilliam, uh, Gary Gilliam. I'm not going to refer to him by his mispronounced last name. It's not, his last name is Gilliam. Uh, <laughs> you, so you've got Gary Gilliam, uh, who is going to play at right tackle. And then at right guard, of course, Fusco didn't practice either. And if he doesn't play, you've got Beatles, Gilliam, uh, and then you've got Kilgore, <laughs> and, gonna, and, and and we're I playing. can't even say that. I'm not. Uh, I, I can't. please try just once. Uh, no, that's way uh, way too offensive. No, uh, you're no. probably right. No, I, you're probably right. <laughs> uh, so really, what I'm wanting to know is 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 CJ Beathard going to die? I mean, maybe. Um. So so here's if Gilliam and Beatles have to be out there, I'm just gonna I'm gonna protest this week. I just don't even want to see it. Um. So y- you think of you know what. Philadelphia does well defensively and and really um the first thing is their D-line and especially the guys that they like to line up on the interior when you start going to sub packages right and that's going to be uh Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham uh and they are excellent excellent football players and they're going to be going against uh you know an interior offensive line um that is not good especially without the guy that's been kind of playing the best football so far through the first half of the season um it's terrifying um and and we saw i I think right now so we were at a point where the offensive line early in the season was was playing surprisingly well right like trent brown decided um, he was going to run block Trent Brown was doing his thing. Uh, Trent Brown was, yeah, run blocking a little bit. Like it was, the the pass protection as a whole um, was was much better than we thought, and it just kind of slowly deteriorated. Each week gets a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Um, and you know, we saw Beathard in this game under duress quite a bit, um, which is something that he uh, is he struggles with. Like the the pocket presence and the ability to move again subtly in the pocket is is kind of one of those areas that he struggles with and struggled with going back to his college days. Um, and so this is a game that does not line up well uh, with that particular weakness. Just to put some of this into context, Brandon Graham is the sixth overall ranked player at the edge position. He gets moved inside, much like Solomon Thomas does on you know kind of obvious pass rushing snaps. But he's ranked as an edge defender just below this wonderful list of edge defenders. Melvin Ingram, Calais Campbell, Khalil Mack, Von Miller, and Cam Jordan. Like that's the stratosphere of player that Brandon Graham is in. And on obvious passing downs, he's going to be going up against Kilgore, Tomlinson, and the Zane Beatles turnstile in some way, shape, or form. More than likely, Kilgore and Tomlinson. And that's just not a recipe for success. If the 49ers get down early, and they might the way that Carson Wentz is playing, this is not going to be a good game for... Well, it's actually going to be a good game for C.J. Beathard's cardio. Because he's going to be running around a lot. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, 
Fletcher Cox is is just a, um, someone that's been really disruptive too. I mean, Brandon Graham, I think. Hopefully, I think most people have kind of caught on to the fact that he's he's really good. Good you know, at football. He's a really good player. Um, Fletcher Cox, I think, can go a little bit more into the Raider. I mean, uh, what was it? It was I think it was the the Chiefs game that he was kind of questionable as to whether he was going to play. Was dealing with injury. Um, ended up, you know, being active for the game and came in and was just completely disruptive that whole game and just kind of, uh, you know, manhandled the interior of that line and. Um, this offensive line that he's going to be going against. Uh, not, I mean, Zane Beatles, I mean, CJ Beathard might die. Zane Beatles like might die. Um, it's just kind of a really poor matchup. So I think that's going to be tough because, you know, not only is it in, uh, not only is it in the past game where I think that's a little bit more obvious, but again, in, in the run game. And if that interior can't really get the job done, I mean, that's going to make things tough when they go to those outside zone runs, uh, you know, getting pe- penetration is what kills outside zone plays. Um, and these guys are, really good at getting penetration drink. Yep. So Derek Barnett drafted 14th overall, not third overall. You were big on Barnett coming out of the draft. Would you knowing what you know now about Solomon Thomas and knowing what you know now about Derek Barnett, would you rather have Derek Barnett or Solomon Thomas? If the 49ers were to redo their pick, at third overall. Oh man, that's tough. Um, you know, I think Derek Barnett is, is more of the pure edge guy, you know? Um, he, I think he's is, like 193 pass snaps and like 30 run snaps. Yeah. The dudes on the Alden Smith plan. The, the thing that they are missing right it, on the defensive line, especially is kind of that guy that, that is the pure edge player, right? That, that is the pass rusher first, um, you know, the speed and bend off the edge. Um, that's something that's important, you know, to good defenses have that guy, at least one of those guys. Um, and they're kind of missing that. So I think um, while I am certainly not like off Solomon Thomas and, and thinking that he's going to be a bad player and, and I was never somebody that was really this idea that he's, you know, such a bad fit and he's redundant for, for what the 49ers have. I do think that, you know, having more of a pure edge type of player would be more beneficial to this defense, probably. So uh, it's tough, man. Uh, It's close. I think I hate to make that decision after what set we're seven games in, you know, a lot can change. Lock you uh, in right now at that point. You can never change. Never change. It's it's it it would be hard to argue against Derek Barnett with the way that he's played, even though when you kind of start building in a little bit more context there and, and kind of having, you know, better defense around him, I think that helps. Uh, you know, it helps when you have guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox to take some attention away, right? And and not um, really where you're in a situation where you're not really having to battle double teams and chips and all this kind of crap uh, a whole lot because you have other guys that are getting that attention. You're telling me that leisure doable is not going to make Solomon Thomas better? Um, I think uh, Lager is a guy that they don't, not only do they like not scheme for, they don't even like refer to him by name. Like he's just a number, he's number 92, 92. <laughs> like uh, 92 on tape, you know, yeah. whatever, whoever the fuck that guy is. Yeah. Um, so. so we're not sure whether or not CJ Beathard will die uh, in this game, but, and are we going to see Carson Wentz stay clean this game? Uh, Wentz has been nearly unstoppable from a clean pocket putting up a passer rating of 117.4 that ranks third among all quarterbacks. Now, of course, when staying clean is, I would say, probably almost a given before the injury to Jason Peters, who's now out with a torn ACL and MCL. An all-name team candidate, Halapulavati, I'm just going to pause to say, I think I nailed it, uh, Vitae, which I think that rhymes with Mai Tai. Uh, Hala Pulavati Vaitai. Sure. HV. Is going to replace Jason Peters in the starting lineup. And the distance between their names and the ease with which I can pronounce them <laughs> is about the difference in their quality at tackle. Because uh, this, uh, we'll call him HV, has surrendered three sacks on 93 pass block snaps, uh, which is a lot. Uh, and it, the Eagles have also signed defensive tackle Taylor Hart in order to also bolster their offensive line. So they're going full Tom Cable. Bold strategy, Cotton. Uh, full Tom Cable. Uh, so, I mean, is is Carson Wentz going to be able to continue his 
just absolute murderous rampage with a clean pocket? Or is the 49ers defensive line going to be able to generate some pressure and turn Carson Wentz into more of the middling quarterback that everyone hopes he will be against the Niners? Um, I mean, short answer, I think he's probably going to be fine. Uh, is, is I think how that works out. I, I think this is where you're hoping that Solomon Thomas can have a good game, right? If, if you can kind of get him lined up right now, he's the guy that has the most potential to do something off the edge, right? Your, your one weak spot is now left tackle. Um, because the rest of that line is, is pretty good. You're certainly not getting, you know, a ton, uh, against Lane Johnson on the other side. So I think that's the spot that you're looking to, to maybe attack. But then you also know that, because they don't really have any other major holes in the offensive line, they're going to do some things to help him out, right? They're going to probably slide his direction a good amount. Um, You're going to see probably backs and tight ends and, you know, receivers maybe even that are aligned tight to the formation, throw some chips uh, his direction, you know, on that guy that's out there on the edge to to give him a little bit of help. So um, you would have to think that they're going to kind of do – everything in their power to make things as easy as possible for, for him, uh, you know, at left tackle there. So it's going to be tough, but, um, you know, I think other than DeForest Buckner, you know, you expect him at this point to do some DeForest Buckner things and, and to make some plays happen kind of regardless of who he's going against. Um, I, I don't know that you're going to see a lot, uh, in this game because I think this offensive line is just, um, you know, been playing pretty well. Yeah, the two weak spots on the offensive line for the Eagles are going to be one Mr. Maitai Vitai and Stefan Wisniewski, which are going to be the left tackle and left guard. But once you get to Jason Kelsey and Brooks and Johnson and and the right side of the offensive line, they all are playing very, very well. Lane Johnson, I I don't know that Solomon Thomas is going to be able to do a whole hell of a lot if he's going to be matched up on the edge over there. Um, I mean, basically, you're looking at DeForest Buckner going up maybe in the interior uh, and maybe Doomerville. But that's on obvious passing downs, and that's presuming yeah. the Eagles are going to be in obvious passing downs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's right. The the, the, the game flow thing is is a big part of that, um, and you have to expect that, you know, they get out to an early lead, and they're, they're in situations where they don't have to, you know, necessarily drop back and, and pass when you know it's coming, and it's, it's not going to be pass after pass after pass. Like, they're going to be able to kind of keep good balance on offense, and, and that's going to prevent you from really teeing off against that guy. Now, if there's one thing that buoys me a bit, it's that the wide receivers for the Eagles are not necessarily all-world wide receivers. You, of course, have Torrey Smith. The 49ers are very familiar with Torrey Smith. And, I mean, he's got, you know, two routes. And if you can protect against those two routes, you're going to be okay. But Nelson Aguilar in the slot going up against new cornerback Leon Hall might be a bit of a problem, especially Kawan Williams isn't able to play. You've got Leon Hall coming out of quasi-retirement, if you will, and he's going to be asked to cover a slot receiver that is filling the Jordan Matthew role fairly well and becoming a favorite target of Carson Wentz. Definitely. I think the interior in general, kind of the, the middle of the field passing game stuff is going to be interesting because not only do you have uh, you know that matchup with Aguilar, but you have Zach Ertz and, and getting to see, which actually might be a little bit of a better yeah. matchup to watch, You know, getting to see him potentially go against... Um, you know, whether Eric it's Reed. Tart or Reed or, or even Foster, right? They they have some players that you could see matching up a little bit better with a tight end. Uh, you know, you know, getting one of those safeties or getting Ruben Foster there. Um, watching that, I think is a little bit more intriguing. But Aguilar is probably a guy, yeah, that you're looking at and and, and like, I don't know really how yeah. we're gonna be able to to do that. I mean, maybe it's and we saw a little bit of this, um, you know, last week against the Cowboys, but having Jimmy Ward come down there and, and kind of play a little bit, a bit of slot. Uh, and maybe that's what you have to do because you don't have a lot of great options. I mean, hopefully I, I really would like to see Ward stay as that deep free safety as, as much as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to have to figure something out to, to find somebody to guard him. The Niners have been a bit more willing to have the safeties rotate when the free and strong are Ward and Tart. Because I do think they feel that Tart is just fine as a free safety. I do think the team is really, really high on Tart, yeah. and and so they will they'll be okay with switching them and rotating them just based on the strength of the formation. Without saying no matter what Ward is is the deep safety. But the the other thing I think that's interesting is that you might have an action and reaction with the interior kind of play of the Niners and what the Eagles are going to do. If the Niners think they're going to put Eric Reed into the box. 
to try and maybe guard Zach Ertz or try and have him there as, as the dollar backer, then I think you're going to see a lot of LeGarrette Blunt, and you might see an extra offensive lineman in there, which Philadelphia has shown they like to do often. While the Eagles primarily run 11 personnel as their base package, they do have 29 total snaps this season where that extra kind of tight end or that tight end is an extra offensive lineman. And against Dallas, we saw a play where the Niners did not line up really well against an unbalanced kind of extra offensive lineman set. And so I think if you see the Niners go into this, well, we're going to put Eric Reed in there at linebacker and we're going to see we're going to let him cover Ertz. We're going to let you know maybe Jimmy Ward cover the slot, let our corners do the thing, and Tart's going to be a safety or vice versa. Then I think you might see uh, you might see the Eagles say, "Well, well, we've got Legarrette Blunt, and let's see what you do against that." And all of a sudden, you've got this battering ram against a, li- a much lighter front that looks like eleven, but feels much heavier, especially if you've got that offensive lineman. And all of a sudden, you could see the Eagles not have to worry about when staying clean because they're just going to jam it down our throat. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a situation where it, right now with the run defense being weaker because of you know things that have happened in the last couple of weeks and and we're not really seeing the same run defense that we saw early in the the season. It feels like a game where against a good offense that's really kind of clicking right now that they're going to be able to do just about whatever they want, right? Like you have the the, the consistent thing defensively for the 49ers has been the secondary play, and it you know, playing not well, you know, especially out on the outside there at cornerback. And and so you have to feel like um, their ability to pass the ball is going to be good. Um, but now that the run defense is starting to struggling, like everything that you mentioned there, it's just like, okay, they're probably going to be able to run the ball too. And, and when you have a team that's just more talented, I mean, they, this is right now the eighth offense and DVOA so far on the season. Like they're playing really well. They're, they're kind of clicking right now. They're coming off a big win. I think this is going to be the game where they struggle to to stop them. So the the spread then is 13. It's Niners plus 13. It's the biggest spread of the weekend. Next game that comes close is going to be the Indianapolis Colts versus the Seattle, the Seattle, Jesus, Cincinnati Bengals at, at 10 and a half. So is this a game where the Eagles cover? God, those big spreads are always so tough because I hate never them. like the, yeah, I think the smart you know, thing is that you should never do that. I mean, it, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Eagles cover. I think the yeah, Eagles feels like they should. Right. Um, I, we're, we're we are just flip flopping more than a couple of rainbows in California where and that's that's the sandal. Not that don't take that the wrong way. It's a sandal. Trust me. It's a leather sandal. It's comfortable. Go buy some. Sure. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I just I don't I don't see the Niners being able to put up much of a fight. The only way I can see it getting under 13 is if it ends up being like a 21 point blowout pretty early and the Niners are able to chip away like a touchdown and a field goal in the like third right, late kind of backdoor cover type yeah. thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I can you really point to one area that you really expect them to have any sort of advantage, right? To be able to cap like if you, even if you just think broad, like four main you know run offense pass offense run defense pass defense like is there any one of those areas that you're like ah, i think they might be able to have an advantage here and, and get something done hidden fifth option special teams sure i mean that's that's really the key right is you have a very odd like bizarre game where random things happen you get like a a punt return touchdown from trent taylor you get a fumble on a kickoff that sets you up with short field position like you get a bunch of like random things that happen that set you up in good spots and and you actually are able to take advantage of those. Like that's the scenario. You like, heard it here first. David is predicting the Trent Taylor breakout game. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yep. That's that's what happened. He's gonna he's gonna atone for his fumble and those tiny baby hands and he's, he's gonna going to hold on to it with both baby hands and it's gonna be fine. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Well, I think that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter where you can get those game clips we were talking about earlier this episode, as well as some of the videos that I posted about C.J. Beathard's play in his first game as a 49ers quarterback, first regular season game anyway. Uh, And David, where can they follow you? Uh, you can follow me at Newman NFL. I'm just realizing we didn't even talk about like Timmy Jernigan and Vin Curry. Like, oh my God, this defensive line is going to kill us. I'm sorry. Yes. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and so is the offensive line. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, they're cooked. It's okay. They're done. It's going to be bad, folks. It's going to be bad. But you know what? 
it's going to be awesome because football's on and the elegant tank continues. We will lose another game. We are going to be closer to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> uh, my feelings for Baker Mayfield grow every day. Yep. They're going to have to be, uh, they're going to have to overcome this whole Texas thing. It happens. It's okay. He's from Oklahoma, but he was a Texas Tech. So, you know, that yeah. kind of makes up for it. I'll get over it real quick if he's if he comes in, he's good. So, Fair. Sure. Make sure that you give us a review on iTunes uh, because it helps other people find the show. And it helps us out and it helps out the iTunes rankings. You can always subscribe in Google Play, iTunes, Overcast, Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn. If you've got a computer and you like the dulcet tones that are getting in your ear hole right now, you should subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button. Just do it. Let's do it. Do it now. It'll be fine. And as always, go Niners. Hello, you are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.